0: Well, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, they didn't hire us, so we're still are working here. First of all, that's a good thing. Although after today, I don't know. Um, one thing you've learned today is uh, uh, I don't look very good in a top hat, right? My little peanut head just doesn't work for that. I don't. I don't know. But hey, welcome to VIP weekend, guys. We put a lot of emphasis on today because we want to welcome you who are guests today. And we want to say we're just glad you're here, and we're so honored to have you. And so we put a lot of effort just to make it as fun as it possibly can be. And right now, the uh, performers are over with the kids, and they're doing all kinds of fun things with them. And then in between worship services, they're going to be over here in the coffee area. And uh, so those of you adults who want a balloon animal or something like that, you feel free to go over there and uh, and to, to do that here in a little while. Hey, my wife, Lisa, is really a Craigslist uh, guru. She is good at both buying and selling on Craigslist and Facebook marketing. She's a deal finder, and she's good at selling our stuff. And uh, when we moved not long ago, we had two green recliners, and they didn't match our house now, so we decided, she decided, actually, that we would sell them. And uh, now keep in mind that these are recliners that we've had for quite a while. And it seemed like a pretty good idea that when we sell them, we should actually try to see what's underneath the cushion because nobody else wants our junk, right? So what we did, we opened it up, brought the cushion out, and then you, you wouldn't believe what, fa- let me just say this, guys, um, if you ever want to do that, just be prepared, all right, for the horrors that are about to come upon you, okay? I mean, there's like quesadilla in there and pizza and M&M's and Ebola, you know, And pretty much I felt like I had to wear a suit like that when I was, um, you know, doing it. Because, I mean, if you were like us, you will find all kinds of things in the cushions of your house. And here's the thing. For a long time, we were actually sitting on all that cruddy stuff. Some of you guys have been our guests at our house, and you have sat on that cruddy stuff, and you had no idea what was under there, uh, but you know your house is just like mine. And what I want to say is that on the outside, everything looked good, but underneath the cushion was a totally different story. And today, what I want to talk to you about is that many of us in this room, really, we look really good on the outside, but what we're really not uh, watching is maybe what's on the inside. You might have great pictures of yourself on Facebook or on Instagram, but when you look beneath the surface, you realize there's something different going on deep below the surface, Sometimes our life is a bit of a mess. Deep down on the inside, many of us are hurting. Many of us are, have some pain in our lives. Many of us have close friends that maybe don't even know what's happening in our life. Maybe our spouse doesn't even know. For many, what's under the, the cushions is your past. Beneath the surface are the old hurts, the regrets, or the failures. And listen, if you can't let go of the past, you'll never be able to move into the future. So how, how are you going to have trouble letting go of the past, how do you know that? If you're having trouble letting go of the past, you keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. That's how you know you're letting you're not letting go of the past. And some of you in this room, you are tied to the present. In other words, you walk in here and you bring with you your trials or your troubles or your hurts, but you try to kind of act like maybe maybe that's not the way it actually is, and we want to look good on the outside. We try to keep those things way down deep in the cracks of our life so that nobody will ever see. What really is beneath the surface? Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus today, or if you're a Christian, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus did not die on the cross, a brutal death, and rise from the dead on the third day so that you could live the rest of your life hiding. Jesus died so that you could be free. Jesus died so that you could live at peace with the present. And those of you who are kind of searching today, you're undecided about Jesus right now, you're undecided about Christianity and where you are, I just want you to understand that there really is a God who desperately loves you and who does want the very best for you in your life, and He is really good at do-overs. He's really good at mulligans. And so today, God, where, guys, wherever you are, God loves you. And what I want to do for just a few minutes is tell you a story. It is one of the most famous stories in all of the world, not just the Bible. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and instead of me reading it today, I just want to tell you the story. The Bible says that when Jesus told this story, he was in the midst of a really interesting crowd. On one end, there were the ultra-religious people. Talk about trying to look good on the outside, and yet underneath the cushions, they were messed up. They were called the Pharisees. They tried to look good on the outside, but their hearts were far from God. And then you had this other group that were like the notorious sinners, people who were the worst of the worst of that day, tax collectors and prostitutes. And in this group, we had all kinds of different things. And so in the middle of that crowd, Jesus tells a story. And he goes on to tell about a son and a father. And the son, the youngest son, goes to his dad and says, dad, I want my share of the estate. In other words, dad, I want you to be gone so that I can go ahead and have my money. Now there's some things that dads in that day would never do, and you know what? My dad's been gone a couple years, but I remember there's there's some things my dad would never do. I never heard my dad swear ever, never. The worst he ever said was "baloney." Hits his finger with a hammer. It's baloney, ba baloney. You know that's about the worst. I'm like, oh, dad, that's terrible. I can't believe it. he never drank uh, any alcohol at all. I never experienced, never knew about, never heard about, never saw him ever drink alcohol of any kind. Another thing my dad would never do is he would never dance. I never saw my dad dance, except for square dance, maybe once or twice. But I don't think I ever saw my dad, like, break it down, right? I mean, he liked to have a good time. He liked to tell stories. He liked to joke. But I never saw him dance. In fact, if there's a lot of dancing going on right now in heaven, he is not a happy camper. I can tell you that right now because he's a wallflower there. He does not (laughs) want to dance. You know, there were some things that fathers in that time where Jesus was here that they would never do in the first century. For for instance, these dignified fathers in that culture would never divide up their estate early, never. They would wait till the end of their life, and they would call the family together, and they would start with the oldest, and they would divide up their assets accordingly. You get the gas grill, you get the Maserati, I don't know. But here's the things that are passed on to my children, and that would happen at the end. But this son pleads with his dad. Dad, I want my share right now. It's very unusual. And a surprising thing happens. His dad does it. And those listening to the story must have been gasping and saying, no way, that's impossible. Dads don't do that. Any respectable dad is not going to give away their inheritance before they are at the end of their life. But this is not your typical dad. And so the father raises the ability, the cash, and gives them what the the son asked for. And, And then the boy takes off, and he hits the road. And he starts to party hard and he starts to spend all the money. And it's not very long where we actually see a real crisis moment in this story where the young man has not only wasted everything, he is now desperate. He is hungry. He doesn't know what he's going to eat. He had spent all his money on prostitutes and high living and maybe snorting things up his nose, you know. And so he ends up looking for a job and he finds a job working in, with pigs. And there he is in this stinky pig pit and in the middle of that, The Bible says there is sort of this cathartic moment, I guess, where he begins to say, I want to change. I I need something different in my life. And some of you today, you might feel like you're kind of in a pigpen of your life right now in the present. And what you don't know is that you are in a place where God can do a miracle. One of the things that we learn from Scripture is that when people are broke or hungry or when they are challenged, the Bible says that, that something amazing can happen. If we realize, if we, as the Bible says in this story, the boy came to his senses, and if we come to our senses and say, God, I know that you are real. God, I know that you're out there. God, I need your help. That there is this kind of transformational kind of experience that can happen. And friends, you will never experience peace and joy in your life until you come to that humble moment of brokenness where you just come to your senses. And this son, in the middle of the pig pen, he realizes. And he goes, what am I going to eat? I guess I'll eat what the pigs are eating. Even the guys that work for my dad have it better than I do. Here I am eating the pig food right now. And then he starts to think, what I'm going to do is walk back to my father's house and maybe, maybe he will just allow me to be at least a servant in his house. And so that's what he does. He goes back home and he starts to walk and he says maybe he won't accept me as a son, but maybe at least he'd hire me and I would eat at least better than this. Now, He knew this was his long shot. His dad may never want to see him again, but fresh out of any other options, he turns in the direction of the father. And what he doesn't know is this, that every day since he left, every day since he left the home, his father was looking as far as he possibly could into the horizon every day, watching, waiting for him to come home. And so broken and humbled and ready to kind of, flip over the cushions of the couch of his own life, the son starts home, and he has no clue what's about to happen. Now, it's important for you to understand that dads in that culture, they also didn't do another thing. They didn't run in public. Now, that's far different than today. In in particular, myself. I can run wherever. I might go to the grocery store and just run in. You know? I might get on the back of the grocery cart start running, jump on the back of the car, and ride it to my car. This is absolutely the truth. And so you will find me doing things like that. But a dad in that culture, he didn't run at all. In fact, it's very hard for them to understand in this story the people that Jesus is telling the story to because they would have never seen a dignified man like that in that culture running. But Jesus throws out this surprise. While the boy is a long way off, the dad hikes up his robe, starts running, sandals flopping, necklace jiggling, hair blowing in the wind. This is not what a dad in that culture would do, but he runs and he throws his arm around his boy and he hugs him and he kisses him and he welcomes him home. Friends, this is no ordinary dad. And friends, if you remember nothing else that I say today, I want you to remember this right here. If you will just stop running, God will run to you. And when you are ready to stop running in your life, God will run to you. There's another thing that a dad in that culture would never do. He would never throw a party for a son who had made such a mockery of his name. In fact, history tells us that there was an old tradition that they had that when a son did something like this, the whole village or community would come together and gather vases, clay vases, and they would fill them with rocks or something like that, and they would march out onto the house together, and they would each stand outside the front steps, and they would smash the vases down on the driveway in front of the son, symbolizing you have broken trust with your father, you have broken trust with our community, and now we are breaking trust with you, and they would excommunicate someone for doing something like this that has a powerful symbol and the son certainly probably imagined that might be what would happen but this dad is different jesus throws out this one final twist not only does the father not break a, a vase and say you're out of here he actually welcomes his son home and he hugs him and he kisses him. Not only does he have that, he has tears running down his cheeks as they walk together back to the home. And the father says, bring the best robe, bring the ring, put it on his finger, put sandals on his feet, let's kill the fatted calf, let's grill some steaks tonight because this son of mine who is lost is now home. He's now been found. And I want you to think for a moment about how deeply that son had wounded and hurt his father. Think about what this had done to his dad, his dad's reputation. His love had been sneered at. A significant portion of his assets had been wasted. His reputation damaged. But here's the point. When we have junk beneath the cushions of our lives, when we expect that God the Father wants nothing to do with us, when we expect rejection, our Father is different. He specializes in transformations. He specializes in taking our junk and transforming it into something useful and beautiful. And here's what I want you to know today. These these truths about this story. Just four of them. Here's one of them. I want you guys, all of you to know, whether or not you're a Christian or whether you're searching for the first time, God loves you even when you make unwise choices. Anybody in here ever made an unwise choice? Something you look back and go, I wish I hadn't done that. Big mistakes, little mistakes. I have cut my hair now for the last 20 plus years. I started many, many years ago when we were first married. Lisa did it one time. I was like, that's it. She's never doing that again. So I just used the guards, you know, and, and cut it. Been doing that for 20 years. I figured out I have saved somewhere over $7,000 in haircuts over the last 20 plus years. And uh, it's really a, a cool thing. Plus, I've saved all that time waiting for in, a, in, a, in a place. And so here, in all these times, I have never made a, quote, critical mistake until three weeks ago. And what is funny about this story is that I've been kind of dealing with a neck injury for several weeks now, and I was just frustrated one day. I didn't really want to be at the gym. I just, I left and went home, and I was just thinking in my mind, literally thinking in my mind, I I'm just, I cannot control how I feel, right? I can't control. It's out of my control how I'm feeling. I said, but there is one thing I can control. I can control my haircut, doggone it. And I thought that literally in my mind when I went home that day. And I started cutting my hair. And, and I have this little system, you know, go from shorter to longer. The top is longer, blah, blah, blah. And in the middle of it, I had switched guards. And my daughter, Hannah, was knock, knocked on my door. And she said, I need to get a razor. Can I come in? And for whatever reason, that moment of, like, knocking on the door distracted me just enough that I forgot that I had taken the large guard and put on one of the small guards. And this was the result right there. Now, I know it doesn't look that bad, but, I mean, look at that. There's, like, a big old hole right there in my head. And so you guys didn't notice that for a couple weeks because I did, like, an old man comb over, you know. I, like, tried to, like, you know, put it it down as much as, as possible. And what's funny about that story to me is as I was processing it and hair fell to the ground, I went, I went, you know what, I can't even control my own haircut. This is ridiculous. I mean, like, even that is not working out. You ever been in those moments? Look, we have all made mistakes. We have all made unwise choices. We've all done things we wish we wouldn't have done. I mean, a haircut's silly, but, boy, some of the biggest fiascos that we have in life start out making an unwise choice, unwise financial choice, unwise dating choice, unwise relationship choice unwise drug and alcohol choice in our life. And Jesus wants you to know that God loves you even when you make unwise choices. It's not a conditional love. Hey, you've got to do the right way, and then I'll love you. No. God loves you right where you are. And one of the things that's terrifying to people is being honest with other people. That's one of the reasons sometimes people don't come to church, or they don't get involved in a community group because they say, well, I don't want people to know my junk, but here's what the truth, guys. I mean, just look around. Everybody in here is a mess. Some people are more of a mess than others. But you're like, wow, that person's a mess, and that person's a mess, and I'm a mess. And when you realize that, it allows you to be kind of free. Romans 8, 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say, God, does that include my mistakes? Yeah. God, does that include my failures? Yep. God, does that include the time where I feel like I I can be as far away from you as possible? Yes, nothing in all creation is going to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, not even your unwise choices. Secondly, I want you to know God loves you even when you're in the middle of your mess. Some people say, I've got to get right before God would love me. But Jesus stands eyeball to eyeball with these notorious sinners in this story that day who have fallen again and again and again in their life. These scandalous sinners in the crowd. And Jesus announces to everybody that will listen, anybody who has some failure in your life, moral failures, financial failures, marriage failures, business failures, parenting failures, God loves you right where you are. He's the father in the story who runs to you. And people think when when God thinks about them, they think, well, God must be deeply disappointed in me. But friends, that is not the nature of God. The whole point of the Bible and the story of God is that He already knows your messy life. He already knows how messy it can be. He already knew how messed up, the messed up decisions you'd make, and He loved you anyway. He actually came to this earth with full knowledge of your failures. Don't believe me? Listen to what Paul says. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While he knew your mess, while he knew your failings, while you were in the middle of the junk, God loved you so much. He didn't wait until you are perfect. He had full knowledge of your life, decisions, and he came anyway. In fact, that's the reason that he came. So don't ever think that you're so deep in your pit that God is not yet deeper still. God loves you even while he waits for you to come home. Some of you are in a pig pen right now and you think, I can't go back. And in fact, um, I don't know if I ever can, but I want you to know God loves you even while you're there, even while you're away from him, even when you are in the pig pen. He loves you and he waits for you to come home. Jesus wanted everybody in the story to hear that the son, while he was a long way off, the father was still searching for the son, still waiting for the son, still longing to see his son. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter writes, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants every single person to come to repentance. How many of you are parents or have been parents of teenagers? Raise your hand real high and real proud. Oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart, you guys. Um, no, I actually love this age of our kids' life, but uh, but when they start driving, this is a little bit nerve-wracking, right? And especially the first time they go out on their drive, you know, you're not sure and and uh and, and some parents buy their kids a, a new car. We don't do that, by the way. I, I bought a car years ago, a 2001 Chevy Impala. I put money into it over the years. And Benjamin, when he drove, he got to drive that car. And I was like, what am I going to drive? I said, you're going to drive that Impala. And then he's like, oh, oh. She's like, I don't know if I want to do that. But the license came. And she's like, oh, I'm happy with it. Great, great. Becca's like, what am I going to drive? I've got this old minivan, actually, that we used to drive. It's got the name Rebecca on the back of it from her old dancing days. I'm like, baby, that's your minivan right there. She's going to be sporting the minivan, right? And she's like, well, what if that don't work out? I said, you drive the Impala. And Jason's like, what am I going to drive? I said, "If that, as long as that Impala's running, you're driving it, brother. You know, that's just the plan. Why? Because, you know what, I know when kids are out there, things can happen. And, uh, and so I want this kind of a car that will handle it, you know. And I want to be able to handle some impact if something happens. But you as a parent, you know what you feel like when your kids go out and it's late at night and you're texting them and you're not really sure, are you going to come home? What time are you going to be home? And here you are in your house, you're just waiting up. They're like, why are you waiting up for me? You're like, you don't understand what it means to be a parent. You don't understand what it means to have your child out driving around. And suddenly you go, oh, thank goodness you're home. And they're just gone for the night. Imagine this dad who just waited every day, every night for his son as he is wasting money. And here's what I want you to know. God is waiting for you to come home. Patiently waiting for you. He waits for you to stop running. And when you do, he's ready to run to you. And lastly, God loves you not because you're good, but because he's just no ordinary father. On the day that son stops running, the father runs to him. And and did you notice the father didn't put any conditions on it? He didn't say, if you'll get a bath first, if you get your hair cut, if you'll get rid of that earring, I'll hug you. If you get down and grovel, then I'll I'll let you come home. Nope. And I want you to think about this. While the son was coming home, he was coming home from a pig farm, guys. Nobody ever came out to hug somebody who had been in a pig farm. Have you guys ever been to the Warren County Fair? Stinkiest place there is the pig area. And it's not pleasant. But I've often wondered about this dad. I wondered how did the dad know he was coming home? Maybe he smelled him, actually. Maybe that's how. I I don't know. But he'd been walking across that desert. No deodorant. Been in that pigsty. The father doesn't even hesitate. He runs to the son and embraces him. And you may think, Oh, no, Dad, I, I need to take a shower first. got to get all cleaned up. And when I get my life all together, when I put my faults and my problems behind me, then I'm going to come in God's direction. Then I'll be lovable. But God loves you just the way you are right now, friends. It's not your job to clean yourself up. God takes care of that work. In fact, I want you to listen to Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. In the New International Version, it says, God saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. And the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior. I like the way the message paraphrased it. Listen to this. When God, our King and loving Savior, God, stepped in, He saved us from all that. That was His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. And we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there is more to come, an eternal life. You can count on that. I love that idea of like God gave us a good bath. The washing of renewal. And some of you have experienced that renewal. You know what I'm talking about today. Because you came to God in absolute, utter mess. And God has transformed your life. Because remember, we do serve the God of of great transformations. And today, don't ever think that you are too far away or too far gone or too messed up or too dirty to come back to a relationship with Jesus. I think when Jesus finished this parable, I think everybody around was probably a little bit shocked. The Pharisees were angry. How could he say that God will wash and clean you up? I mean, how would he say things like this? Doesn't he understand the only way you're good is if you're a good person, you make good deeds? And the sinners must have been like, oh man, that's the kind of father I want to know. There's an old Spanish fable about a father and son who had a real falling out with each other. Words were said, there was big wounds going on. And and so the son left and disappeared and his father was desperate to find him. And he searched for him and he looked everywhere he could and he couldn't find him anywhere. And so finally he put an ad in the Madrid newspaper that just said, Dear Paco, please meet me this Saturday in front of the newspaper office at 12 o'clock noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And on Saturday at noon, the fable goes, hundreds of men named Paco showed up just to be loved, desperate for the love of a father that says all is forgiven. Let's just start over. Friends, we all want to be loved. And the reason we put so much effort in today is to make it clear that God loves you. The greatest of all time is not P.T. Barnum. It's not a movie. It's Jesus of Nazareth who came to the earth to die for you while you were still a mess. That's the truth of Scripture. And so all of you today need to know how important you are to God. It wouldn't have mattered if you were the only person on the face of the earth. God still would have come and given His life for you, because, not because you deserved it, but because God in His grace said, I love you that much. And I don't know about you, but that is a story that never gets old to me. And those of you who have kind of walked away from God, you need to spend the next time. We're actually going to sing a song from the movie, but it's a song called From Now On. It was kind of a realization song in the movie The Greatest Showman, where he realized kind of what he had been neglecting in his life and the fact that he needed to get back and do what he felt like he was called to do. And today we're going to use that song as a way for us to say we need to get back in a relationship with God. From now on, from this moment on, no turning back. And we're going to do that today. And as we do it, I want you to kind of personally just internalize and think, I have some work to do with God. God's got some work to do on you. If you want to make a first-time commitment to Christ, I'm going to be waiting right down here. and We can talk about that. What does that mean? To confess Christ as Lord and believe Him in your heart and then be baptized into Christ. And I would love to sit down and talk with you about that and pray with you about that. But some of you guys, the rest of you, you may just want to come back in a relationship with God. Say, God, I'm sorry. God, I want to be back in right relationship with you. Use this time as a time of prayer. God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this special day. Thank you for allowing us to have fun and realize that church doesn't have to be boring and and we can have a good time and and it's okay to laugh and it's okay to enjoy each other. And uh, God, that's actually the heart of God, that we would enjoy the life that you've given us. And God, I pray for this moment, a spiritual moment, as people really process through where are they in their relationship with you. God, we love you. We thank you for being that Father who runs. In Jesus' name.